Hi everybody, I'm Taylor Onion, and this is Power the Journey. We are powered by GamePlan. With a focus on e-learning, career and mentorship services, and data-driven feedback, GamePlan is the only all-in-one platform for total athlete development on and off the field. Partnered with over 300 athletic organizations at various levels, GamePlan is uniquely positioned to guide high school, college, and professional athletes through 100% of their journeys. For more information, visit GamePlan at wearegameplan.com. That's wearegameplan.com. All right, as I mentioned, I am your host, Taylor Onion, and we spend time talking to folks in all aspects of athletics, from administrators to some of our content partners and beyond. This week, however, we are kicking off part one of a three-part series on sports wagering with Penn Interactive. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to the first of a three-panel series titled The Expanding Industry of Online Sports Wagering, A Landscape of Emerging Career Opportunities, presented by Penn Interactive. Our three panels are designed to give you an in-depth look into the rapid expansion of the legal and regulated online sports wagering industry and how this is translating into new career paths for young professionals. My name is Alex Graham. I lead marketing compliance at Penn Interactive, and I have the distinct pleasure and honor of moderating our first panel today, which is designed to give you all an overview of some of the key stakeholders in our industry and provide insights into how they operate and how they have each on their own experienced uh, this rapid growth in their respective sectors. So with that, I'm very happy to introduce our three panelists and get things started here. So first we have Trey Atkinson, the Director of Operations at Penn Interactive. Trey started his career in regulatory compliance with an agency of the Treasury Department, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. And during his tenure there, he oversaw community and mid-sized financial institutions regulatory examinations across the United States and served on the Northeast District Capital Markets Analyst Team and the Cybersecurity Assessment Team. Now, Trey transitioned into the online gaming industry when he joined Penn Interactive in 2020, where he was brought on to build and lead the operational compliance team here. Trey now serves as the Director of Operations for Penn Interactive, and in this role, he is responsible for oversight of player experience, payment technologies, broad risk management, operational efficiencies, and profitability of Penn Interactive's real money gaming products, which include the Barstool Sportsbook and Casino and HollywoodCasino.com. Trey, it is a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for joining. Thanks, Alex. Pleasure is all mine. Glad to be here. And next on our panel is Siska Kincannon. Siska is a veteran in the online gaming and marketing space and is the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Affiliated Sports Fans, which is based in Philadelphia. She brings close to 20 years of experience in driving growth strategies through e-commerce, having worked with companies like GAN, Penn Entertainment with the Barstool Sportsbook, and organizations in finance and manufacturing as well. For the past eight years, Siska has been focused within the online sports and casino wagering industry, having successfully led the marketing strategy and operations for 15 online casinos and two major sportsbook brands across all legalized U.S. states and other global markets. Siska is passionate and focused on female empowerment with the gaming industry and sports industry as a whole, often championing women business leaders initiatives and allies. Siska's philanthropic efforts are focused on lifting women in sports, mental health initiatives for transitioning athletes, and professional mentorship. Siska, it's always a pleasure to see you. Very excited to have you joining us. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Great to be here. And last but certainly not least, we are joined by Scott Saden. Scott is co-founder and chief operating officer at U.S. Integrity. U.S. Integrity is an anomaly detection firm that leverages proprietary algorithms to identify potentially suspicious sports betting-related activity. U.S. Integrity, or USI, services premier sports properties, sportsbook operators, as well as regulatory bodies. And in his capacity as COO, Scott oversees product development, corporate strategy, investor relations, and compliance. Scott previously worked in financial services at Apollo Global Management, and Michael Dell's registered investment advisor, MSD Partners. Scott, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Alex. Looking forward to it. Wonderful. So I would like to begin by giving our audience kind of a broad overview of each of your organizations and, and how they operate. So, so Trey, as the operator, would like to start with you. Um, you know, most people outside of the industry are likely only aware that Barstool Sports has an online sports book because that's the brand they, they hear and, and they associate uh, it with. 
and not necessarily that Penn Interactive is the actual operator of the sports book. So let's take a step back and, and if you could just walk us through the operation of the Barstool Sportsbook, who runs it, how is it marketed, and, and what is the relationship between Penn and Barstool and how Penn is structured as an operator? Certainly, and that is a very good question and one we answer on a very regular basis. Um, so from an operator standpoint, Penn Interactive, which is a subsidiary of Penn Entertainment, runs the online Barstool Sportsbook. So that is only a fraction of the infrastructure that Penn Entertainment has as a whole. So collectively, Penn National being the corporate entity and Penn Interactive being the online subsidiary, run not only the online Barstool Sportsbook, but also our brick and mortar, our retail Barstool Sportsbooks um, with the scores team also run the score bet in Ontario and our also our Hollywood Casino Real Money Gaming platform in Pennsylvania and, uh, and the My Choice Casino as well. What that brings is obviously a, a wide variety of product offerings, of brick and mortar locations for players again, which is a massive infrastructure behind the, the well-known Barstool brand, which at this point is our media partner. We obviously utilize the, the personalities, the brand recognition, the customer acquisition that Barstool brings, and that has been a tremendous relationship for us as well. But there's a, a significant amount of infrastructure and product offerings and personnel, and what we'll obviously get to as part of this panel, opportunity for individuals you know, on that at that operator level, at the brick and mortar casino level, um, and just the pen entertainment corporate level as part of that. And to tie that into marketing, which um, one of our other panelists is also has been closely associated in the past. Um, you know what that brings as part of that trifecta of marketing is we obviously have marketing personnel in-house at Penn Interactive that are closely associated with our online products. Then the property and retail brick and mortar casino marketing individuals, as well as at the corporate level, um, and then obviously the Barstool arm and the media partnership that we have there, which brings a number of different unique avenues um, that we utilize just as pen entertainment as a whole for social media, for those personalities, for live events, for activations and things of that nature. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a multifaceted marketing coordination that we have between a number of different entities and as well as our marketing affiliates that we're closely associated with in those strategic partnerships as well. Um, you know, but in summation, there's, there's a massive amount, 43 different locations and destinations that Penn Entertainment offers, the number of different product verticals, all of which, again, have been in existence for many years and have functioned as you know, top tier casinos and online product verticals that now have adopted this Barstool brand um, that we have brought the online and retail brick and mortar Barstool Sportsbook. Awesome. Thank you, Trey. And Siska, I want to bring it over to you and talk a little bit about your current endeavor. Um, so you co-founded an affiliate marketing company in the space of online sports wagering, which undoubtedly is an essential function in the industry. Um, but it's also one that I think is quite diversified in how some of the players are approaching it. So Walk our audience through a little bit about what an affiliate marketer is generally, and then specifically how you and your, your company is approaching things. Yeah, great question, Alex. So um, just to maybe take a little step back and, and give the audience and, and give all you guys some understanding in terms of the affiliate marketing space for sports betting. So typically there are around three verticals that constitute what is affiliate marketing, and they're quite unique in their structure. So the first that a lot of people on this uh, as an audience would be aware of is what would be called influencer marketing, right? So you might have an individual that is, is big on social media or, or big in some capacity that has a very loyal and trusted audience, an audience that essentially finds whatever they say incredibly credible um, and very relevant to their interests. So that could be uh, individuals that have great picks, it could be individuals that are very entertaining in sports, or it could be ex-athletes that really are encompassing um, all areas of, of sports analysis um, and, uh, and, and picks. 
And essentially what they would do is they would partner with operators and promote that operation to their audience. And the concept really here is, is that because they have a loyal audience, they're more likely to trust that individual and therefore they're more likely to convert. And really the key in, in affiliate marketing is, is that unlike, say, a billboard or a TV ad where you're paid uh, or where you're purchasing that placement in affiliate marketing, the affiliate, whether that in this case the influencer, is only paid on conversion. So they are promoting an operator or they're promoting a product um, and they're getting paid when their audience converts over. Then the second vertical, so that's the first vertical. The second vertical is what I think would be considered more traditional affiliate marketing, um, and that's the web slash SEO-based affiliate marketing. So um, an example of that uh, in Philadelphia uh, would be Crossing Broad, and there are many different examples of websites that are very trusted sources. They can be websites that are localized, like Crossing Broad, that's very Philly-based, um, or they can be websites like ESPN um, that have a very broad market reach. And essentially what they would do is they would either find ways to merge in sportsbook operators um, into their, their analysis or into their reviews or into their um, uh, articles um, and talk about offers, or they would have a separate page or a banner or some level of advertisement on their website, which would advertise quite a unique offer to their audience. Um, and then again, that website, that company would be paid on conversion of their audience. And the concept there is a little bit different, although somewhat the same. It's, it's Again, it's a trusted audience, but it's probably less loyal. These websites very much go on. We're giving relevant information based on a Google search that you did. Maybe you wanted to find out LeBron's stats so you can make a, a great player prop bet, or maybe you want to know what the best picks are this weekend. Um, in the NFL or in college or NBA or whatever it might be. Um, and so this website would come up with, with the relevant information. So they're very much focused on eyeballs, getting as many eyeballs onto that page as possible. Um, and they don't mind if it's a high churn, if they're churning out audiences very, very highly because it's all about eyeballs. And then the third vertical um, is what would be called events-based or in-person affiliate marketing. And that is where, you know, for those that are over 21 that are listening in, they might be at a sports bar uh, and they may be approached by a promoter or a brand ambassador that would be giving them some sort of offer to sign up for a sports book that might be relevant to them watching the sport or, or an offer that might be relevant to them in terms of their needs and wants. Or you might be at a sporting event, you might be... Um, uh, at a stadium and you might have a street team that are there representing and promoting a brand. And once again, they are incentivized by how many people they can sign up in person on a one-on-one -on -one relationship type basis. So no real loyalty there, no real audience to speak of, but much more of kind of like think of it as a sales rep or brand ambassador, um, which again, they're incentivized on signups. So they're kind of the three verticals and it's all very much focused on uh, top of funnel, which is another, another term for acquisition marketing. And I think where really ASF, affiliated sports fans, um, is very different is that we've effectively, A, merged all three of those elements um, in one offering, but also importantly have recognised some of the biggest challenges, um, I would argue one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge facing the industry, being um, a huge amount of spend and not really understanding the return on investment um, and very much feeling the brunt of acquiring all these players um, for them to then essentially leave um, or only engage with a promotion and then leave. And so not only have we found the value add of all three of those elements of affiliate marketing, but we've also been able through our infrastructure and through our database um, to be very much focused on not just acquiring you, um, but going really deep into your user journey and ensuring that once you've 
you've moved to the operator that we're representing, um, that you stay there and that we're ensuring that we're bringing you value in order for you to stay there. So it's a very unique approach, which the industry hasn't really done much of, um, but we're very much preempting some big challenges that the industry are facing today and are going to continue to face. Um, and we're essentially that, that solution for the industry um, in not a very atypical affiliate market away, um, but still being focused on performance marketing or conversions. Awesome. Thank you for that walkthrough, Cisco. Uh, actually, I just would like to expand a little bit um, and for you to dive in a bit more on why an affiliate marketer is so valuable to an operator. You know, obviously operators will have some in-house marketing department, but I think you just kind of walked through a bit of how your company specifically is merging those three verticals and bringing true value, but, but maybe expand a bit more on why an affiliate marketer is a valuable vendor for an operator. Yeah, absolutely. So look, there's, there's lots of ways to attract an audience, right? Um, there are a lot of ways to acquire an audience. There's a lot of ways to retain an audience. Um, and I think what's really interesting about uh, affiliate marketing is one in how um, affiliates are incentivized and two in terms of um, really understanding um, what is the psychology of a sports better and how do we target that better in a way that very much merges face-to-face -face or, or uh, interpersonal relationships, which is the social media side, interpersonal relationships, which is the influencer side, interpersonal relationships where the brand is a trusted component. Um, but importantly, um, knowing that A, we're targeting the right audience and B, we're so sure that we're targeting the right audience that we are only going to get um, paid or we're only going to get um, make our company generate revenue once that audience member has converted. So to kind of give you a different understanding of all the different types of, of brand awareness or acquisition marketing, you have another form of marketing would be essentially a media buy, which would be something like you're buying a TV ad spot, you're buying a billboard on the highway, you're buying an ad <clears throat> on a social media platform, you're buying inventory or space or real estate. Um, and you're, 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 of course, trying to make it as targeted as possible. You're obviously going to make sure that your billboard is in a stadium, you know, one of the, one of the big sports stadiums. You're going to make sure on social media that you, your targeting parameters are focused on the relevant audience. You're going to obviously ensure that all these elements are working but you're still paying for the space up front with no real understanding if it's actually going to return any value for you whatsoever. The difference with affiliate marketing is it's, it's based on what's called performance marketing. So it's based on the fact that, A, we have a relevant audience and we believe so much we have a relevant audience. Don't pay us until we convert our audience to you. And so I think from an ROI perspective, that's very attractive to operators because they're not paying for maybe uh, not getting any return. They're only paying on return. But importantly, they are speaking to an audience, and this is a critical component of marketing, in the right place at the right time. And that's really the secret source of marketing. How do you get to the right audience in the right place at the right time? And that's where affiliate marketing is really that secret source for this industry. Awesome. Makes great sense. Thanks for that explanation. So, Scott, I want to turn it over to you, sir. Um, so you're certainly representing, I would say, a unique sector of, of the sports wagering industry, the, the integrity monitor. Um, so walk our audience through a bit what exactly the ultimate purpose and the business model of U.S. Integrity is and, and how you all are structured and maybe interact or, or partner with other stakeholders of the industry. Yeah, it's, it's the fascinating world of regulatory compliance. It's riveting stuff. But I will say that the reason I love this company, one of the reasons I love this company, is because we do really get to interact with each I would say like primary stakeholder group of the sports wagering ecosystem in very unique and different ways. 
Um, so just for instance, we, I think you mentioned at the top during my bio, US Integrity is an anomaly detection firm, and we do leverage proprietary algorithms to deploy across different data sets in order to identify potentially suspicious wagering activity. But it's also very much an art. It is not just a science, right? When you're looking at potential game manipulation, you're looking at potential match fixing, when you're looking at the potential misuse of insider information, all of those things require circumstantial evidence or context, right? It's impossible to just say that wager is suspicious. You have to take in sort of the entire picture of uh, uh, a situation. And so because of that, we have contracts with uh, sort of three primary customer buckets, I would put it. Um, the first are sportsbook operators, right? So um, uh, the, the, the Barstool Sportsbooks, the Caesars, the BetMGMs of the world. Um, and we work with the majority of regulated sportsbooks across North America at this point. The second customer bucket are actual sports properties, right? And I would sort of segregate those into three sub buckets. The first being professional sports organizations, and we call it the big five or six, right? Um, the second is collegiate properties. So we work with the SEC and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and a variety of um, individual universities that leverage our transparency and insights as well. Um, and then the third sub bucket of, of sports properties is, is emerging sports properties, right? So Think of you know, a Northwoods Baseball League or a Big Three Basketball League or even a slap fighting or International Sumo League, right? There's all of these different sports properties out there that are now looking at sports betting as a new way, regulated and legalized at least, to engage new audiences that they've never been able to necessarily reach before. But in order to do that effectively, you need to have two things that we always say. One, you need to make sure that you have a top to bottom integrity program in place, right? You cannot afford some kind of match fixing scandal or game manipulation issue. The second thing is you need to be actually on the approved wagering brochure in jurisdictions in which you hope to operate or at least have events. So if you were to, you know, go to Penn National or Barstool Sportsbook and say, hey, I want, you know, slap fighting to be a partner of Penn National uh, uh, and Barstool Sportsbook, I'm assuming Trey and his team would say, okay, great. How many states? are you on the approved wagering brochure? Because otherwise our risk managers and traders are not gonna be able to offer markets. And the final customer bucket is regulators. Now we have a, a slightly different relationship with regulatory bodies. They're not really customers, but they do need the same level of access in many cases that a sports book or sports property would have, because obviously if there is something potentially suspicious that warrants further investigation or criminal investigation, they would very much be involved. So they require dashboard access, they have access to our, our screens and they get um, the same alerting that you know, a sports book would get. Um, and then just kind of tying it all together, how do we work with each of those? It does vary slightly. However, we've tried to streamline the process as much as we possibly can. And therefore all of the alerts, all of the notifications, all of the reporting basically customized directly to our end user through our proprietary dashboard. So everything that you need to know about your event or about your sports or about a particular circumstance is all housed within a uh, sort of easy to use and visually pleasant dashboard. So Scott, in terms of organizational structure, USI, um, is it just a team of mathematicians? Are you guys staring at statistics all day or, or is, does your company have, have more departments than that? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a great question and it, and it, cater, it, it kind of caters to my, my point at the top about how it's art plus science. So we have a team of those exact mathematicians that will show me things that they uh, think are potentially suspicious and I'm looking at code that I don't understand. And then we also have actual analysts, right? Day to day, looking at system generated alerts and then synthesizing and then clearing the noise and then taking other circumstantial evidence or um, uh, detail and informing a report, right? So we have both. We have data scientists and quantitative analysts and we have engineers coding so that our system is as accurate as possible in identifying things that we should be looking into. But then we do have analysts on our team that actually look into said circumstances, form a more comprehensive um, report and an outlook, and then distribute it to the relevant stakeholders. Gotcha. Makes sense. 
So I want to talk a little bit about the growth you all have experienced along this, this wonderful ride of online sports wagering as an industry. So look, this has obviously experienced a ton of growth since the federal ban on, on sports wagering was repealed in 2018. Siska and Scott, I think it's fair to say both of your companies were, were truly born in response to this legalization. And, and look, Trey, Penn has been around for a long time, as you covered, um, but sports wagering certainly represented a, a brand new vertical to stand up. So there was still a lot of newness there. Um, tell us a little bit about what this rapid growth has been like for each of your companies. Um, and, and moving beyond the obvious answer, busy. But uh, Trey, let's start with you from an operator's perspective. What has this rapid growth been like for you all? I mean, I think the the overarching point that you know uh, your end user or just the the general public doesn't necessarily have is privy to is it's incredibly difficult to launch in one state, much less the you know fourteen plus or that many operators are legal and are are operating in the 13 that Penn Interactive operates in. And, you know, to, to start with a, a pun, the, you know, there hasn't been a game plan. There's not, some of these states are legalizing sports wagering for the first time, um, you know, and their first soiree into sports gambling at a retail and or online casino as part of this. And, you know, it's been, um, it's been an, incredible exercise of scaling a business really as it relates to the technology that's associated, the hiring and the staffing that you're doing and really building the infrastructure that allows you to, again, not only launch in one state and the amount of effort it takes from your marketing teams, your finance teams, accounting, operations, compliance, partnering with a variety of vendors and your affiliate marketing companies and your integrity companies that you are having in each of these states um, and then ultimately the compliance and licensing piece and just building that core infrastructure that allows you to launch not only in one state that requires a significant lift just to get live in that state but creating an environment that makes you sustainable in that state but then allows you to quickly pivot and scale as more and more states become you know legalized sports wagering and the the goal of operators at this point is to, you know, to be first to market, to be in that initial wave of operators. Um, and I think from my perspective, you know, to my earlier point, one thing we've been able to leverage very well at Penn Interactive is that, is that core infrastructure that Penn Entertainment, our parent company has, you know, from their expertise, their experience in the casino industry, the, obviously the casino properties that have allowed market access for us and the marketing teams and the loyalty programs um, that have helped with customer acquisition as we're getting as we're getting ready to launch in these states. Um, you know, and while it certainly presents a number of different challenges as part of that, I think it's it's really helped us to build a culture of bringing in you know large amounts of personnel, but having them buy into the mission, having them you know we're creating tangible products and offerings and customer experiences as part of that. Um, and it's allowed for tremendous growth and opportunity for our employees, you know, both seasoned individuals that we've obtained or that have joined our company from the gaming industry, but also, you know, those individuals who are starting their first career in gaming, who are making a jump from the U.S. Treasury Department to join the gaming industry, um, you know, to to be in at the ground floor and really dive in. Um, and a tremendous amount of work, but gain a ton of experience. You know, we talk, we talk often that you know, working in the gaming industry over the past three to four years is is almost like working in dog years. That you know, we've we've accomplished so much in the past three to four years that it feels like I've been working in the gaming industry for five to ten years. Just what we've accomplished and worked on in the past two and a half that I've been at Penn. No doubt, Trey. I certainly share that sentiment. <laughs> Uh, Siska, bringing it over to you, obviously, I know you've, you've had extensive uh, experience in the gaming industry, but specifically, I'd like to hear uh, what it's been like to launch uh, a company in this space and, and in the affiliate marketing space specifically. True. I mean, I just want to say, Trey, your comment is spot on. Uh, I certainly don't envy you guys on the operator side anymore. Um, yeah, look, I, I think in in some of the biggest challenges that that we face or, or from a growth standpoint 
in the affiliate side um, and and all the potential growth um, opportunities. So I, I kind of touched on it earlier, um, but I think what's really interesting in the industry up until really from, you know, the online casino industry launched in New Jersey in, in 2014, um, and then obviously PASPA was repealed for sports betting in 2018. So I come from a country, Australia, where we've had online sports betting for 20 plus years. I worked in the UK where there's been sports betting for 20 plus years. Um, so I came from and grew up in very, very mature markets. Um, you know, I always use this example that in school, in high school, um, I learned probability and math through how to bet on horses. That's how we learned probability. Uh, I certainly don't suggest that anyone goes to the school board and, and advocate for that, but um, it was a very good way to learn, by the way. Um, so gambling was very much embedded in, in our culture and particularly in Australia. And what that has resulted in in Australia is, is that Australia still remains to this day um, on a per capita basis, one of the highest gambling propensity countries in the world, uh, the highest. Um, because of our culture is so focused around sport and betting is an extension to sport. So I think in the US it's really interesting I and mean, there are a couple of challenges. One is the culture around gambling um, and there seems to be a very much a all-in or all-out. Gambling is good and fun and I'm deep into it or gambling is bad and evil and no one should do it. And so there that is not also healthy and scott might might disagree with me or maybe you agree with me um but that is also not a, a a healthy way and it certainly it 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 almost has a, a flip effect of encouraging problem gambling as well um and so i do think that that just by nature of the legality or or the time that online gambling online sports betting has been legal it's just going to take time um, it hasn't proliferated the market for as long as some other countries. Uh, and certainly America's done a great job on the regulatory side to learn from other countries' mistakes uh, and learn from other countries' errors that, that we're now seeing in, in international markets. Um, but there's that challenge, the challenge of the addressable market, right? How many can we attract to gambling? How many can we attract to sports betting when there seems to be this, um, you either know it and you're in the club or you don't know it and you should be intimidated. Um, whether that's going into a retail book and feeling like you have to know the lingo and if you don't, you're kind of ushered off to the side or yelled at or you feel intimidated or be that in online, you don't understand the vernacular, you don't understand what you're betting on, what is the spread, what do these odds mean? Um and so there, there is still kind of a gatekeeping um, uh, issue, I would say, in, in sports betting, that certainly the industry is responsible in changing. And I think that that will have very positive knock-on effects for responsible gaming as well. That's a challenge for growth um, that I do believe will be overcome. The other challenge specifically for affiliate marketing is I, I believe where the industry is going now. So for since PASPA was repealed, you would have seen it. If you've ever been in, in a city that has um, or, or a state that has legalized sports betting, you can't turn on the TV when, a, when, when an ad is on, when a game is on and not see a sports ad. You can't be scrolling on your Instagram feed or TikTok feed or, or Twitter feed um, if you're into sports and not see an ad. Um, there's been a huge amount of spend in an effort to capture market share as quickly as possible. Uh, and the thought process was go in hard um, and then we can back off and kind of focus a little bit more on retention. The, the underlying factor is, is that a lot of the operators were focusing what's called lifetime value modeling on the first state that launched and legalized sports betting. And being the first state and being the only state, they had a huge LTV. As we, we roll out more states, we're realizing, well, that's either dropping with more competition coming into the market, uh, and it is dropping, um, and or we haven't figured out a way to increase loyalty, to increase player value, and to increase 
retention over lifetime just in months or in years. And so I think that how that has a knock-on effect to affiliates or a knock-on effect to acquisition channels in general is that because the operators don't all have the infrastructure in place to really analyze at a channel level, what is the value of that ad or what is the value of that that placement or what is the value of that channel and really understand it throughout the whole player player journey versus and understand the impact of their promotions throughout that player's journey and what that's doing because there hasn't been a probably I think enough attention on that um, there's been a kind of culling exercise of we're just not going to spend we're going to cut spend we're going to drop spend we need to show ROI we need to do this we need to do that and so I think the challenge of affiliates, the challenge of acquisition uh, channels in general is really understanding the value of your audience and being able to represent that in a meaningful way to operators. And I think the challenge for operators is to really understand the value of a channel market channel marketing strategy and what is the value of each player that's coming through that channel and how do you leverage um, the, how do you double down on the good channels or the channels that are making money for you? How do you um, either drop or, or move spend or whatever it might be? But I think the concept of dropping all spend and now refocusing on retention is a little bit short-sighted and we have to have a more of a holistic view of how do we attract an audience? How do we retain an audience? And importantly, how do we remain competitive in historically an industry that hasn't really had a lot of differentiation in any product, in any marketing, in any messaging, affiliates are no different. Um, and so how do we as an industry collectively, operators, affiliates, everyone that supports uh, the operators, understand the value of differentiation, understand the value of driving value at the player level, and also understanding the value of how do we increase the addressable market and ensure that we're attracting betters, not just the typical better that everyone goes for, which is typically male, um, but how do we ensure that we are attracting a whole host of our demographic and we're making it a really enjoyable, entertaining experience beyond this kind of, let's just be in the, in the sports betting club and if you're not, you're out. Absolutely. So I think that was a, a great walkthrough of two of the primary challenges facing the industry as a whole. And, and I, I would like to split it off uh, to take those in turn between Scott and Trey. Scott, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Cisco's first point, the first challenge she identified, which is this stigma some states have in terms of a legalization. And, and look, I think it's safe to say your, your company was kind of born to combat some of that stigma and, and perpetuate the, the positive narratives of legalization. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think just to put it great, I mean, it just requires time, right? Like, un like, unfortunately, with how quickly this space is moving, you cannot expedite um, uh, sort of awareness and like nuance and education, that kind of stuff. It just takes, it just takes time. Now, I do think there's been everyone's always talked about responsible gambling and everyone's always talked about perhaps decreasing the amount of, you know, advertisements on, on, uh, you know, your local television for a sportsbook operator. But I do think over the last call it year, um, or at least three quarters, there has been, it seems a more serious conversation about some of those topics, um, compared to the first sort of three or four years of this gold rush post pasta. Um, but but in any in any case, you're right. Like a lot of what U.S. integrity does is kind of show that through regulation, data sharing, cooperation amongst their stakeholders, and buy-in, um, you can actually really roll out a very robust integrity uh, uh, sports wagering paradigm, but still have the appropriate measures in place to combat responsible gambling to have integrity monitoring in place that's actually proactive and to uh, have you know, a robust sort of education um, initiative, right? And, and I, I think we see that with um, colleges more than any other stakeholder across the sports betting ecosystem thus far. You know, going back to Cisco's example of, of learning statistical and odds through sort of horse racing betting, um, 
think about the complete opposite approach culturally for a collegiate athlete or a student athlete, right? When you grow up as a student athlete, it is ingrained into you, it is innate that you should not be betting on your sport, right? Um, and that's still the case, even though sports betting is now rampant and proliferated across, you know, 37 plus jurisdictions in the US. So one of the things that USI does is like, okay, if you're going to be engaging in a corporate sponsorship opportunity directly with a sports book as a collegiate property or as a conference, where you're going to be engaging into some kind of data licensing deal with, you know, a sport radar, a genius sports or a IMG arena, a stats perform, et cetera, a Tempest, you should have the appropriate integrity monitoring practices, policies and procedures, education initiatives, responsible gambling initiatives. This is not simply just a money grab, right? There's a pragmatic and thoughtful way to do this so that culturally, when you know, we do progress, um, we, we all feel sort of comfortable with the current structure. Does that mean there's not always gonna be some issue to deal with? Of course not, but it does mean that we can do this in a responsible way. Um, and so I do very much think that, and look, this is one of the reasons why we started US Integrity. We said, I think there's going to be a more significant allocation of capital resources, as well as just domain expertise into quote unquote, back office compliance and reg tech services, because it's going to be very important in order to have the successful maturation of this space to also have all of those other things that I listed previously, as opposed to just launch as quickly as you can, acquire as many customers as you can, and put out as much advertisements as you can. Absolutely. Trey, I'd like to bring it back over to you um, to talk a little bit about the second challenge Cisco identified, which in a nutshell, Cisco, I don't want to paraphrase you, but finding profitability and, and being a successful business, right? And being sustainable. Um, it's certainly no secret that as an operator, we are launching in states to make money. So I, I'm sure that's, that's a primary challenge that you and your team are specifically facing. So give a, our audience some insight into that and how you guys are combating that on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think Cisco teed this up very, very well. You know, all operators are facing this challenge of customer acquisition and developing customer loyalty and, and really on the operator side, determining the resources and the strategic initiatives to do those really in two ways, sustainably and profitably. That's obviously the biggest piece there. Uh, and there's a number of different factors that go into that uh, so that we're ultimately providing the best in class products, but doing this in a safe manner. And you know, while building that trust with those individuals that we are to we're building that with responsible gambling in mind, with integrity in mind as part of that. Because again, you know, one of the, and going back to the conversation of it being taboo or there still being, you know, it's not a mature market, there is that inherent skepticism from individuals. And I can say this being from the Southeast, that, you know, it's the, it's building that mindset and framework that Again, while we're in this to to be profitable and to make money, there is the path forward towards building a loyal customer base and acquiring those customers that, with the mindset that you are offering a sustainable, a safe product as part of that. Um, and I think Penn has taken a unique approach, and we, you know, the infrastructure that I've continued to talk about, and that we are approaching this even down to the name, the name itself, the name itself. Penn Entertainment and really developing what is a an entire ecosystem of customer experience. It's not just you know, we're not just appealing to the the barstool media fan who wants to participate in the barstool online sportsbook or the retail sportsbook, but really developing that as we were often referred to it the this omni-channel approach where we're incorporating entertainment and restaurants and experiences and. You know, at the 43 destinations across the country with racetracks and brick and mortar casinos and a multitude of online product verticals so that, again, in those partnerships, not only from with our casino properties being at Penn Interactive, but these strategic partnerships with our affiliate marketing companies and our 
partnership with Barstool Sports and the acquisition of the score and this continued push for owning your own technology as part of this, um, really building out the infrastructure and in preparation for what will be and become a mature market. Um, and even down to you know Penn's recent announcement on continuing to invest internally, building out our casino properties in Illinois and Ohio and Nevada and continuing to to really build upon what we have and offer this holistic experience to those customers, you know, as we seek to retain their business again, not just for the the simple wager that they're placing on the Barstool Sportsbook platform, but for this entire entertainment and customer experience as part of that. Absolutely. So. I like to transition a bit to looking uh, more holistically at the future and kind of hear everyone's thoughts on maybe more on a macro level where you see your respective companies being in the next five to 10 years and, and specifically how it relates to our audience and how perhaps the next generation of graduates, particularly college athletes, how can they play a role in that? And uh, Cisco, let's start with you here. Yeah. I mean, firstly, I'll say I am so excited about the future in the US. I came into online gambling in 2015. Um, and that was uh, just as they uh, the US was legalizing online casino. And um, I dealt with a lot of European uh, operators, Australian operators, and obviously American operators. And I remember in the US that there was really rarely a time that I wasn't speaking to a, a, a foreigner that was based in the US that was um, dealing with the US market and making decisions for the US market. Uh, I was the same. Uh, I was brought over because there wasn't a lot of expertise or talent in the US um, that had any level of background or knowledge in online gambling um, because it was so relatively new in, in a legalized sense. What I'm so excited about is that I don't think I speak to any foreigners now. Um, I only speak to, to US, and that's not to say that, you know, we're horrible people, um, but it's certainly to say that this is, it is fantastic how there's so much talent coming up um, that is becoming incredibly uh, influential that are making decisions across the broad spectrum of this of this industry. This industry is more than just operators, and I think that's a really important point to make. Um, this industry is a lot bigger than just the operators, and I would argue a lot of the innovation are coming is actually coming from the industries that support the operators for various reasons. Um, and I think that the nature of the industry is going to look very very different because of these industries that are supporting the operators um, and what they're going to bring to this space is changing monthly. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I think that there is huge opportunity, whether that be on the marketing side with, with you know, any level of, of, of affiliation or any level of acquisition or any level of engagement platforms, whether that be from um, you know, there's some technology around leaderboard rankings, around influencer rankings, around um, different types of betting, micro betting. Um, maybe that's a bad word in in, uh, in regulatory spaces, but um, there are in regulatory areas like what, what Scott's doing. So I think that there's huge, huge opportunity. This industry is expanding, but importantly, it's the industries that support the operators that are expanding at lightning speed. Um, and I'm really excited by that because we don't know what the industry is going to look like in 12 months, which means that it doesn't matter what your background, what your specialty, what you bring to the table, there is a space for you, there is a place for you across the broad, broad spectrum of sports entertainment, of which uh, obviously betting and gambling form part of. That's not very uh, specific answer. That's a quite a broad answer. I, I kind of took the 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 uh, the easy way out there. That was a wonderful answer, Cisco. Scott, <laughs> would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, where yeah. do you see U.S. integrity five, ten years, and the sports wagering industry as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I think the ecosystem. There's so many different topics, right? You know, is it consolidation amongst operators? Is it micro betting or in-game or props or live betting? Um, you know, is it is it something else? I think into the federal, you know, uh, uh, ecosystem or paradigm. 
you know, the, the two, I guess, topics that I would, I, I, I'll dive a little bit deeper into, or one, one, something that Cisco mentioned earlier, which is differentiation. Like I'm very interested to see, I mean, I, to be clear, I completely agree that a lot of the innovation has occurred on the sort of service provider front, but that's also because we don't really have a lot of the same burden when it comes to licensing, right? We do have to go get licensed, but candidly, the burden is not as arduous as it is on an operator, especially the timeliness you have to get there first. Um, but but I am I am interested to see the differentiation, whether it be from a UI, UX perspective, a market perspective amongst the operators. Um, and then the second piece is something that I mentioned earlier, which is the collegiate landscape, because I do think that is sort of the last like untapped frontier with respect to sportsbook operator partnerships. We've seen a couple, right? There's you know Michigan State, there's LSU, um, there's Maryland. The Mac did a deal with Genius Sports for data licensing. Um, so there's been a few announcements publicly. Uh, the the points that CU deal, which is the first one, Denver also has the University of Denver also has a deal. So there's been a few publicly uh, announced ones. I think that we will see a more significant flow of these types of deals um, come into play in, in the not too distant future. And I think what's going to be really interesting, and again, from US Integrity's perspective, we're working proactively in many of those, or trying to at least, to ensure that they're rolled out as effectively, as efficiently, and as thoughtfully as possible. But I am curious to see what some of the ramifications are gonna be for those, right? Because as an integrity company, I'm telling you right now, the, the, the dip, what we see as far as case studies are concerned changes month to month, right? Like there are circumstances that we've highlighted, we highlighted five years ago that we've never seen since. And then there are things that we saw just two weeks ago that I would never have imagined I would have ever seen. And so I think when you start to see sort of the convergence of NIL, regulated sports betting, and corporate sponsorship deals between an individual university or collegiate property and a sportsbook operator, the tentacle that will kind of then be reached outwards is really, really fascinating. So I do think that's going to be, um, you know, sort of something to watch. And then as far as you know, recent graduates looking to break into the space. And I wouldn't even say recent graduates. I wasn't a recent graduate when I came into the space, right? I had been in financial services. I was working uh, at a hedge fund and a private equity fund. And I, I desperately wanted to get into this space. Um, I mean, I think there's just like any, op, any individual trying to break into any sector or any new profession, you need to be, um, uh, have some kind of domain expertise or skill set. You need to have a good attitude. And need to work hard. Now, the latter two very much are in your control. And the first one is a little difficult, right? If you don't have the domain expertise or the skill set, what do you do? Well, what I did was, because I didn't have either of those, was I went and built a network. I spent a year, year and a half trying to meet as many people as I possibly could. I connected with as many people on LinkedIn and this is coming from someone who never had any social media platform, never had Facebook, never had Instagram, never had a Twitter. So I put myself out there on LinkedIn and said, I want to meet, I want to connect, I want to talk to people who are domain expertise or who are domain experts or do have some kind of skill that they're rolling out in this space, learn from them, and then ultimately, hopefully identify a potential opportunity through said network. And so that would always be my recommendation, right? But I do very much think whatever you can bring to the table, if you think it is solving a problem or do you think it is ushering towards differentiation, or you think it's providing a service to a stakeholder group that very much needs it, then you're already off to a great start. So Scott, your, your comments on the development of the collegiate space with sports wagering made me think of a comment you made earlier that you can't rush the education piece. And that's kind of something that's going to have to be overcome. And frankly, that's a big reason why Penn Interactive is partnering with Game Plan and we're doing events like this for that exact purpose to perpetuate the education and, and let folks know the positives of bringing legalized sports wagering into jurisdictions. And look, to be clear, I think you're right. Like I said it, you can't rush it, but you can absolutely allocate resources. You can absolutely put programs like this together so that you're setting up the culture for success as opposed to just leaving it to the side and hoping for the best. And Scott, I know our audience appreciates the, the last bit there about some advice on how to break into this industry. And I'd just like to expand on that and kind of in closing here, I think this has been a terrific panel, but uh, 
Trey, I'll, I'll bring it to you as an operator and your thoughts on this. Um, you know, everyone here is certainly in hiring positions, right? Um, so what, what specific advice would you give to our audience and particularly as a student athlete? How, how is their unique experience as a student athlete? How does that differentiate themselves from the rest of the, the applicable? I think there, there are a number of different ways to approach this. And I think from an operator perspective, you know, there are, there are, as it stands today, there were two years ago, and I envision there will be for the next five to 10 years, just a tremendous amount of opportunities. I think as on the oper operator side, as we mature as operators and mature and the market itself matures, you know, when we move out of this, what to some degree was this like startup mentality and startup approach where it was, you know, you had individuals who were joining the company and they were wearing multiple hats. And, you know, there was not as much of a specialization of skills and things of that nature. You know, it provides more opportunities for those individuals coming out of college and those student athletes, you know, at the operator level, if you have an accounting degree or a finance degree or economics or marketing or business, um, you know, there are specialized opportunities and positions within most, if not all operators that tailor to your degree, to your experience. Again, even if that has not been experienced in a workforce, there are going to be entry-level positions that allow for rapid growth and rapid opportunity and exposure to a number of different vendors and markets and unique experiences within, again, not just the the sports betting industry, but really from the pen side, as we continue to advance into this idea of player experience and customer experience and totality, that it's not just, you're not just working for the Barstool Sportsbook on that unique betting experience, but this idea of entertainment in and of itself and then being involved in marketing and finance and accounting and strategic planning as it relates to the growing an entertainment company that's associated with online casino and brick and mortar casino and sports betting in and of itself. Um, so again, I think as we continue to mature as a market, it only enhances and you know develops more specialized opportunities for individuals and student athletes who are interested in getting involved in a in something that relates to their major, i.e., that being accounting. They can get involved in the sports industry in unique ways that. I wouldn't have even known existed or thought of when I was sitting in an accounting class in college. No doubt. Siska, any parting nuggets of wisdom for our audience? Yeah, I, I would say, and, and I'm, I'm going to maybe alienate the rest of the panel here, but I do want to make one point is that, um, and I'm appealing to the young women that are in the audience today that this industry is overwhelmingly um, full of uh, men and particularly white men making decisions uh, across the spectrum of messaging, product, compliance, operations, strategy. Um, and what that kind of results in is a very diluted opportunity for the addressable market. Um, we need people that represent um, all elements of our demographic uh, in order to be able to truly say that we are focused on encapsulating the nuanced elements of all demographics. Uh, and I don't think it's fair to say that this industry is even remotely there yet. Um, certainly when I go to industry conferences, it, it is very much not there yet. So I'm appealing to all the young women in the audience, particularly women of colour, that if I also appreciate the headwinds um, that are faced, I all, you know, we face them, um, particularly in male-dominated industries. And so if um, you need networking support, if you need mentorship, if you um, have any questions um, or just need someone that can help you through this, this path in, in whatever way I can, uh, I encourage you to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I will absolutely uh, be open to mentoring and support um, and or giving any level of advice that you need to enter into this space. It is a, a fantastic industry. I wouldn't change my career for anything. I've gotten so much value out of it. 
Um, but we certainly need to change the demographics so that we are more focused on a broader demographic of customer. Cisco, I think that's a wonderful message and I think one appropriate to end on. That was wonderful. Uh, I'd like to thank our panelists for the participation today. Uh, it's always a pleasure to see you all. And um, like Cisco said, I, I know all these folks are, are very accessible via LinkedIn. You all have wonderful resources at your disposal and, and utilize them if this is a space that you're interested in. So thank you all very much. Thank you, Alec. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Cisco. Thanks, Scott.